Hello everybody, this is Ellis and you are listening to another episode of Undefined Truth. With me today, as usual, I have Amber. What's going on, Amber? Hey guys, hey. How's the weather treating you? <laughs> oh, it's beautiful. I love this weather, man. It is, it's beautiful. Dallas weather is, it's bipolar, but it's beautiful. So, so. Yeah, we do have bipolar yeah, so weather, it's good. honestly. It's like, really nice and sunny. And, like, yeah. not that... 80 90 feel but yeah sunny enough to feel like oh it's summer we're hundreds <laughs> you know this the summer is hundreds in the fall summer so now this is spring so it's it's Kinda, perfect it's perfect it's perfect yeah <laughs> we're we gonna keep it because you know our spring is like six months i mean our summer is six months so. <laughs> <laughs> i agree thank you for coming back to the show and yes, uh i miss you man i miss you too i miss yeah, you i know i know it's been uh kind of hard to like be consistent mm-hmm. with this season you know and hey that's just life yeah stuff happens <laughs> stuff happens that's just life you know uh we have a very special guest in the house today and uh this topic especially consider the time that we have in this conversation i think to some might be sensitive but hey that's what we do here on the fine truth we're gonna get into it well we get in your feelings <laughs> as long as we promote the, me- the right message you know true. yeah um before i go forward i just want to say thank you so much jack Cammer, for joining us today when your team first reached out to me i looked at your profile i was very impressed i had a lot of questions i was very curious and uh i'm glad that you were able to do this with us thank you for joining the show and how are you doing sir I'm doing well, and, and I'm very glad you were able to uh, approve me to, to be on <laughs> of your show. <laughs> of because course. Because I, I, I certainly appreciate that uh, this topic is uh, it's very sensitive, and yeah. you don't want to have somebody who's uh, going to be um, causing problems instead of yeah. trying to find solutions. Yeah, I, I think sometimes uh, people are scared to just approach the conversation the reason why we approach it is not to offend anybody is for us to get a better understanding to why people take the stand that they take, you know, before we even go into all of this, I just want to dedicate the first, you know, maybe the first quarter of this to like getting to know you as a person, as an individual and the things you've done. So that way, a lot of the contributions you're going to be making, it will make more sense to people. People can say, okay, well, it makes sense to why it thinks this way. Um, So tell us where you're from. Just give us a little introduction about you. Okay, um, I am uh, a Baltimore native, born and raised in Baltimore, Maryland. Uh, it's a city that uh, has some significant social problems. Yeah. Um, was born in 1951, so I'm coming up on 70 years old. You don't even look like it, honestly. <laughs> well, you know, there's a button on this Zoom connection that says "Touch up your appearance." So I got that cranked up. I got that cranked up to eleven. Oh my God! Okay, yeah. So, yeah, go ahead, go ahead. I'm sorry to interrupt okay. you. Yeah. The way I got into these issues, I was on a co-ed softball team in the uh, early '80s, and we would go out after our games on Tuesday nights and party and you know, drink and dance and have a good time. And two weeks in a row, two Tuesday evenings in a row after two Tuesday games in a row, I was sitting with two separate female teammates of mine. And uh, I'm I'm a pretty good listener. And they were talking with me about their boyfriends. Right. And they had long tales of woe about their boyfriends. And both times they ended their stories by saying, and so he's a real jerk. Don't you think? 
And I said both times it was appropriate. I mean, it was right there for me to say. I, I said, well, you know, maybe he's a jerk. But, you know, from his point of view, based on what you're telling me, the way it looks to him might be such and such. I don't remember the details, but right. I said, you know, he, the way it looks to him might be this. And both times they said, oh, my God, I never thought of it that way. Right. I never thought of that. And to me, and maybe to you, Ellis, maybe to most men, I don't know. Um, it was pretty obvious what the possibility was yeah. for this non-jerk man to be having the reaction or the, the or to say what he said that caused a woman to think he was a real jerk. Right. Yeah. And so it occurred to me, you know what? I think the male point of view is really just not very well understood or appreciated or recognized mm. or articulated. Mm. And so I thought to myself, maybe I'll start a magazine about this. And my girlfriend at the time said, well, you know what? Uh, printing is pretty expensive and postage is pretty expensive. Yeah. So uh, why don't you do a radio show? Electrons are cheap, you know? Yeah. So I thought, aha, great idea. Great idea. So I went to the college station at Towson University, north of Baltimore, and uh, it was a pretty wild and crazy student-run station. And they were open to the idea of me doing a show on what's really going on with men, oh, about the wow. male point of view. That's that's And that's so really I did good. that. I did that from 1983 to 1989. Mm. Now, I hope that one of the things we're going to talk about today is the intersection of race and gender. Right. Because I have a, I have a, I have a lot of empathy, I guess is the best word, yeah. for black men. Okay. And I can tell you a little bit about how that developed, if, if you want. Before I do that, before I talk about my, my interest in what's going on with black men and why, you know, why I think I have anything valid to say about it because I'm not a black man. Right. Right. Um, I want to mention the earliest, earliest, earliest memory I have of thinking that something was up about what's really going on for men and boys. Right. The thing that I told you about the softball game, softball team in 1990. 1983 and early, early 90s, early 80s, um, was the first thing that I consciously am able, was able to remember. I mean, at the time it happened, I thought, wow, this is something's up here. But once I got into thinking about what's really true for men and boys, I remembered a recovered memory, I guess you could say. I remembered that when I was a little boy, I used to hear the equivalent of what little girls often hear when they're good at math, they hear, wow, you're really good at math, dot, 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 for a girl. Or little girls will hear, little girls who are good at sports will, will hear, wow, you're really good at sports, dot, 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 for a girl. What I remembered hearing as a little boy was, wow, you're really good with babies dot, 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 for a boy. Mm. And I, I think I knew something was up with that, but I didn't really 
didn't really have any way to process, to process no, that. Yeah. you know, no words or no, no, no concepts to process that. I, I do know that it was sort of related to hearing as a little boy that girls were sugar and spice and everything nice and boys weren't. You know, boys were basically everything that's not nice. We were snips and tails and puppy dog, whatever it is, yeah. snips and snails and puppy dog tails. And I, you know, those two things are pretty early, early memories of thinking, hmm, somebody's trying to tell me that I'm inferior in some ways. That's, um, that, that kind of makes sense. And that's why, in fact, because there's a lot of questions I have. What I want to do, you mentioned about, you know, how you view things for you know for african-american even as a white male and that makes me want to ask uh several questions before we even go into the core of today's topic which is the the counter feminism you know versus the anti-feminism and which i think is yeah. very very important so from what i know i will assume that you are an ally is that correct to the to the things that we are trying to change in america as a black person or people of color Can, is it fair to make that assumption yes you could even call me a social justice warrior but <laughs> but i am i'm a social justice warrior on a on a different battlefront and, okay. and i think that the the objective uh, of making progress on this on this battlefront is uh, is different from the one that is often thought of um uh but yes definitely yeah. the, the battle that i am fighting the line the line that i am trying to move is definitely an advance toward happiness and health and justice for everybody. Right. I just happen to see a particular kind of terrible injustice that is being perpetrated, I think, right. upon minority men, especially African-American minority men. Do you, why, is, why is it important to become an ally? And do you think more people should become like you, given the present-day culture? Well, I mean, everybody should be an ally for a healthy society where people are treated fairly and justly. And even if, you know, you're the most selfish person in the world, even if you don't care about anybody other than yourself, you want to be uh, helping to make sure we have a society that's fair and just for everybody. If for no other reason that your taxes will be lower, <laughs> you know, you won't have to lock up so many people. You know, and you won't have so many social problems and you won't have you won't have to worry about, you know, going into particular parts of town. You know, you'll just be safer. You'll be happier. Right. So even if you don't care about anybody else, even if you have no empathy. Yeah. You, you know, it makes sense to to care about making sure that people feel like they're being treated fairly. I want to ask Amber, uh, do you do you have anything to say about it? Do you agree with what he's saying? Yeah, I definitely agree. I'm just actually just amazed. I'm just listening to everything <laughs> he's saying. Um, I definitely agree, and I want to hear him talk, talk more. more. It's like I'm just really I, So I know you yeah. have some questions. No, I, not yet, though. I don't have any questions. I'm, <laughs> I'm learning and listening right now. <laughs> we all, Yeah, honestly. So uh, um, before we, again, before we go into the car, so Jack, do you ever like have to deal with your like stereotypes? And the reason I'm asking that because you you've lived in different pitiful moments in America. You've seen a lot of things, different era. Like so, have you ever had to deal with the stereotypes? And and um, if you have, if you've confronted those things, how can you help people to deal with it as a white male? So, the, are you talking about stereotypes against bl blacks and African Americans? Yes. Have you confronted uh, those things as you know? Yes. As somebody yes. who's lived through these different experiences. Yes. 
And look, I'm going I'm going to be honest. I'm and you, and you want me to be honest. We're going to keep it real. I was raised white in America. I was born in 1951. I was a kid in the 1950s and the 1960s. I was a young adult in the 70s, 80s, 90s, and you know, I'm an American. I'm a white American. And for for me to say I have I am not racist in any way, I think is just wrong. Why do you think you know, that? I, Why do you think that? Because I know that there is at a very fundamental level that I am getting, you know, maybe close to being able to turn off. Yeah. And to be being able to, you know, amputate it from from my psyche, my my thinking process. I mean, there are times when I recognize that when I think about a black person or black people in general, sometimes negative stereotypes pop up and I have to say, oh, no, 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 no. White people do that too. Right. But I okay. have to, I have to take that step. I have to, it's, it's, it's not an automatic process, you know, to filter that out. Yeah. It's, and it's, and it's not an automatic process that it never comes up. It happens. And I have to intervene on myself. Mm. That makes sense. And is, yeah. is there something you can add, given yes. the polarized nature of America right now, that can help I would, people? I would, say, I would say that it would be really good. It would be really good if, if white people felt comfortable saying, yeah, I, I'm, I'm racist, I, I admit it, without being canceled, without being mocked, ridiculed, demonized, hated, um having people get angry at them um i mean you know if they're saying yeah i'm racist and i'm proud of it you know that's one thing but if they're if they're honestly acknowledging that they've taken an inventory of themselves and they they've found some racism in their in their closet you know you you want to make it possible for them to bring that out and to say i'm sorry i, I felt this way or i'm sorry i feel this way occasionally and you know, trust and uh, goodwill, you know, can go a long way to making people feel better about each other. That's true. That's true. I quickly uh, want to say, like, you've worked as a correctional officer, you know, aka, you know, J guard, and you yeah. you've done social work, and you even worked with the former late Seventh um, uh, District. Um, uh, what's his name again? Elijah Cummings. Yeah. If I'm saying that correctly, yeah. So yes. I feel like your work has been towards men and even particularly black men because you identified the certain problem with that group, right? How has that dynamic changed over time, living through different experiences, doing all this work? So what can you say, okay, this is the progress we've made or this is what we need to do from here going forward. What can you say about that? For me, um, well, you know, I can't really track any kind of a change other than um well i guess i can say i can, the track the change i can track is that my feelings have gotten stronger and deeper let me go back to the to what i can remember as the first time i um recognized uh i what, what i would have to call the essential beauty and goodness of black men now, when I say that, do I mean all black men are wonderful? No, you know there are there are, 
there are bad black men, there are bad black women, there are bad white men, there are bad white women, there are bad, you know, people of every type. But my grandfather owned a drugstore in downtown Baltimore. When he opened it, probably in, I don't know, 1914 or something. My father was born in 14 and, and lived there over the drugstore. Um, when he opened that store, it was mostly uh, an Irish and German white uh, working class community. Over the years, by the time it got to, you know, 1951, when I was born, it was it was becoming largely a, a black community. And now it's a very distressed black community. But in my grandfather died in 65 and and I was 14 when he died. So I remember being 10, 11, 12, 13, 14 and working in the drugstore, quote unquote, working. We didn't really work. We mostly just you know helped out a little bit, but ate all of the, the candy and he had a soda fountain. So, we, yeah. you know, we helped ourselves to that. But, you know, a lot of the customers were black. Most of the customers at that time were black and they were really nice, really nice. Um and my, my grandfather hired this young delivery. He was a boy. I mean, I don't mean boy disrespectfully. He was yeah. a boy. He might have been, been 16, maybe, maybe a young man. Uh, but this young man was a delivery man, delivery boy named David. And he was just the most, every time I think of him, I just think of golden. I just think of the word golden. He was as nice and as kind and caring and lovely as he could be. Yeah. And so I guess that, you know, my experience interacting with black people up close and personal sort of made it that a lot of the racism you hear as a white person in a big city that is primarily black, it, you know, it's just it's just not true. It doesn't it doesn't it's it doesn't ring true. Right. Yes, there are some blacks who do bad things and, you know, shoot and kill and, you know, you could that's true. But to say it's true of all black people is just as wrong as it right. would be to say I, I it's true I, of all white people. I totally agree with you on that. Um, now let's dive into the very core of what you do into you know today, and I'm gonna let Amber ask that question because she I think she wanted to phrase it in a certain way, and I'm gonna let her ask that question. Yes, Jack. So my question is, what's the core of feminism, and define what it means to you. Well, okay. Um, there are really, there, there really is no central certification bureau to decide who's a feminist and who's not. There, there are multiple definitions of feminism, and I think that's part of the problem that people um, have difficulty saying whether they're a feminist or not. Right. If the definition of feminism is a person who's interested in equal rights between the sexes, then I'm a, I'm a feminist. If the definition of a feminist is a person who is interested in equal rights for women in the ways in which they do not yet have equal rights, and that's all they're about with no consideration for what men uh, need help with, then I'm not a feminist. Mm. So it depends on what your definition is. If it's about true equality and balance and fairness between the sexes and helping both sexes overcome stereotypes and sexism, yeah. then, that, then I'm a feminist. I'm, I, and I'm probably more feminist than, than uh, 
a lot of people, mm-hmm. yeah. put it that way. Okay. okay. And, and, and let me just say this little pithy thing I sometimes say. The most sexist idea of all is the idea that only one sex is ever sexist and only one sex is ever harmed by sexism. Mm. Okay. Okay. That, I think and I so what's, what, that. what that's a way of saying is sexism happens to men too. And it works against men too. And we really got to, you know, pursue both sexes, sexism together because they sort of feed each other. Yeah. And that brings me to the next question. I think I know where you're going. So with that being said, what is really the difference between counter feminism and anti-feminism? Right. What is the difference? So, so an anti-feminist, I, I, you know, this is just me making this up, but it's a distinction that I think is valid and important. An anti-feminist is a person who says, no, no, all this talk about women's issues, that's a bunch of baloney. A counter-feminist says, yes, and yes, women suffer problems and men suffer problems. And the reason I think that makes me a counter-feminist is because what I perceive to be the dominant strain of feminism in the world today, or at least in the United States, is, you know, you say the word sexism, and the word immediately conjures bad things that happen to women. Yeah. And so I'm a counter-feminist because I say, yes, sexism does happen to women, and it also happens to men. And we need to work on both. Okay, so if I'm agreeing with your logic, because when Black Lives Matter movement started and you had people say all lives matter and blue lives matter and all that, and I often say that's like a counter protest to Black Lives Matter. So do you think there are people who are listening to you now who can say, well, women has been, you know, been in a really not so good situation for a long time and now we have this guy talking about counter-feminism. How do you navigate that part of that conversation? Because I know they're not the same, but I can see in today's world, people can easily associate those two things together. Like, oh, this is just like when people, when white people say white life matters, you know, we are talking about women right now. Why do we have to talk about counter-feminism? Yes, that is a really good question, Alice. I mean, it really goes to, to an important, important piece of the, of the dynamic. Here's how, I, here's how I navigate that. For black people to say black lives matter, first of all, no black person ever said white lives don't matter. Yeah. Um, but the black people who say black lives matter are saying black lives matter, and we don't think the world really gets that. Um, in America... There are very few traditional advantages to being black. In America, there are very many traditional advantages to being white. And so when a person wants to talk about white rights, it's pretty problematic. But if we switch that same pairing of of, uh, categories, huh? I, I was saying if we use the same logic for counter-feminism, then how would that yeah. go? Yeah. So, so the way we go when talking about gender is that 
in America, there are traditional disadvantages to being female. Okay. There are also traditional advantages to being female. There are also traditional disadvantages to being male, just as there are traditional advantages to being male. So unlike the situation between blacks and whites, where one is clearly getting all of the advantages and one mm, okay. is getting clearly all the disadvantages, for men and women, it's more, you know, it's more 50-50. You know, you get some advantages, you get some disadvantages between men and women. And, you know, what we, what we have talked about over the course of 50 or 60 years and working against uh, racial, uh, gender discrimination, when we work against sexism, we have worked against the unequal advantages that men enjoy because they're men, and we have worked against the unequal disadvantages that women suffer because they're women. But we could do the same thing in the same way for men because, you know, men are not just living lives of uh, extreme joy and happiness and privilege. Uh, you know, the suicide statistics are pretty good indication of that. Yeah, that's true. The, the, incar that's true. the incarceration rate is a pretty good indication of that. Okay. So, you know, yeah. what's going on with men? Is it, it the, the only other explanation for what's going on with men is that, well, it's, you know, men are inferior. And if, if we're going to go to men are inferior, I'd say, well, that's pretty sexist right there. Yeah. We can't, we can't just say men are inferior. We have to say there are reasons. If we're all equal, we have to look for what are the reasons that men are having these particular problems they're having. So here's the thing, uh, the problem I think I have with this type of conversation sometimes is that some people don't necessarily look at, look at it from every conceivable angles before they make judgments, right? And um, today, there's a, a fellow that you might know by the name Kevin Samuels on YouTube, and he's very popular for saying things in a in a way that people most I would say most women don't like, mm -hmm. and they tend to think you know this his ideas is coming from like ideas of patriarchy. You know, I think in fact uh, Amber had a question about that. W what was the question? Again? Yeah, I did. Um, so Jack, do you think patriarchy and feminism can coexist in the same society? Um, I would like to talk about patriarchy a little bit. Can okay. we do that? <laughs> yeah, mm -hmm. go ahead. So when we think about patriarchy, we have the, the immediate idea that because men are in positions of power, um, all men benefit. Yeah. The, the patriarchy might be uh, diagrammed as a, as a triangle with or a pyramid with a very broad base at the bottom and a very sharp point at the top. And we naturally look up at the top of the pyramid to say, look at all that power up there and look how many men there are and how few women. You know, the presidents, the CEOs of the big corporations, da 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 da. But we don't look at the many, 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 many more men at the bottom of the, of the pyramid and recognize how powerless they are. Secondly, most of the men at the bottom of the pyramid have no connection at all 
uh, to the men at the top. So the men at the top don't really know the little guys. That's and true. of course, they don't many, they don't really know many of the little gals either. But I mean, just imagine driving down the highway yeah. and seeing a man or a woman with a flat tire. Who are you more likely to help? You know, the, the male culture is you're more likely to help the woman, right? Sure. And if the men need help, well, they're, they're losers. You know, I beat them. I climbed over them mm. in the pyramid. So we have to understand that the patriarchy, although it's uh, populated by a lot of men, it doesn't mean it's operating for a lot of men. Um, and I would say that the principal problem with patriarchy the principal problem with, with patriarchy is that the last thing men can talk about is their own problems. Mm. I mean, we look at Joe Biden. Do we want him talking about his personal problems? No. That's true. We want him talking about our problems. Mm. So, okay. So that's, that's one thing about patriarchy. All right. So, so we imagine the patriarchy as being this big pyramid. Okay. So imagine, imagine you're, you know, you're out on the prairie somewhere and, and you're looking across the prairie and, you know, from 10 miles away, you can see this huge pyramid and you think, wow, that is a very impressive power structure. Right. And look at all those men at the top of it. Okay. I get that. <clears throat> and then you might notice off to the side of that pyramid, you see this little pink fence. It's a little low thing. It's, you know, maybe maybe eight feet high and it's, and it's pink. And you think, yeah, that's women's situation. They're stuck in this little low pink uh, behind that little pink low fence. Okay. So if you think of it that way, you think, yep, men have all the power and women got nothing going on. They got nothing, nothing that anybody needs to pay any attention to. Okay. So that's one way to look at the male power structure, the patriarchy, and the female power structure, which looks like this little low pink line. But it's a pretty unsophisticated way to look at it. Another way to look at it is to get into a helicopter and fly up above these two power structures. You know, we're looking at it from a different perspective. Yeah. You fly over the patriarchy, this big pyramid. What you find is that it's, when you look at it from above, in some ways it's not really that impressive because it's kind of a, it's kind of a facade in some ways. You know, it's it's sort of like a you know a movie set. Mm. You know, it looks like it's a western town, but you know it's not. It's just the front with some some boards propping it up in the back. So it looks really impressive, and I'm not denying that there aren't impressive parts of the patriarchy. Yeah, but, because, because I know, was it, about to say for a long time, people it, would <laughs> say it, they wouldn't agree with that, given that women didn't have some things. Yeah, so, so it's it's got a lot of power. Yeah. Um, but it's not as it's not as solid and as and as powerful as it looks like it is from a distance, because looking at it from a from the top, if you if you if you talk to men who who have lived at the top, You know, you will hear some of these guys saying, you know, what was it all for? You know, I climbed this damn pyramid here for 40 years and, and I'm a lonely son of a bitch. Mm. Um, you know, I, my wife divorced me 18 years ago. I haven't seen my kids in six. 
And they're just wondering, what the hell is this all for? I'm not saying that that's true of all men. Some men are very happy, you know, on their yachts and, you know, doing whatever they want to do. But is that really the kind of happiness that makes you happiest? You know, it's debatable at least. Yeah. All right. So we're looking down from this helicopter at the male power structure. And you sort of see it's a little, it's got some problems. It's got some flaws. It's got some cracks in it. And then off to the side where you saw this little pink line, what you see, what I see, I mean, this is my, my image, my, yeah. my perspective on this thing. What you see, what I see, isn't a lowly pink line. What I see is a vast city that is surrounded by a pink wall. Now, just as at the top of the patriarchy, you can symbolize the goal uh, or, the, or the engine, the thing that motivates men in the patriarchy. It's a dollar sign. That maybe that's what's at the top of the pyramid. It's a dollar sign or maybe a lightning bolt. You know, it's just some sort of, sort of external power. Yeah. What you see, not at the top of, uh, of the female power structure, because it doesn't have a top. It doesn't go up. But at the center, at the center of the female power structure, it's not a dollar sign. It's not a lightning bolt. It's a big red heart. Mm. And there is a lot of, you know, we could call it power. It's a lot of benefit, a lot of juice, a lot of wonderfulness, a lot of warmth, a lot of happiness, a lot of meaning in life that flows through and from that big red heart. Do you agree with that, Amber? Mm -hmm. I agree. <laughs> and, you know, just as men back in the day identified themselves as men, this is what makes me a man, yeah. is that, you know, I make a lot of money. Or if I don't make a lot of money, if I'm one of the little guys at the bottom and, and I'm a bricklayer and I'm, you know, I'm doing okay because, I you know, I might be in a union. And I'm doing mm. okay, but, you know, I'm not the CEO of, of a Fortune 500 company. But, you know, I'm a, I'm a bricklayer. I'm a carpenter. Uh, maybe I'm a bus driver, but I do it well, you know, yeah. and, and, I, and, I, and I provide for my family. This is what makes me a man. Mm -hmm. That's true. And, and to have, you know, to have somebody come along and say, hey, you got you to gotta share that with me. You know, when the women's movement came and women said, hey. You know, you, you can't have you can't have all that to yourself. We need to make a living too. You know, money is good for us to be I able think, to make. I think I think that brings me to the very next question: like, how did feminism morph from women having a choice to a lot of things to where you think we are right now? How did that really? How did that happen? Yeah. How would you describe really that? Yeah. Yeah, I would describe that as a very bad. Uh, it's almost like a very bad meme, a very bad trend. Uh, it's a very big mistake. Uh, it's a very bad piece of our culture. Uh, in, in that, um, it, it has created the ability for women to be not so nice. Mm. 
And I think, I think the word for, for, for the word I use to describe the, the, the badness, the problem here is it's called the, the female shadow. And we all have a shadow. Men yeah. have a shadow. Women, we all have a shadow. And the shadow is, it's a Jungian term. Carl Jung was a psychologist and it's a Jungian term for the piece of your, of your psyche or the piece of your personality that you, that you really don't want to own. Okay. But you, but it's there, but you just really can't reconcile having it. And so you sort of, you sort of bury it yeah. and it becomes sort of dark and ugly because, you know, you can't really talk to it. And, it, and it's, it's, it's mean in a way. And we all have the ability to be mean and we all have the ability to be selfish and cruel and heartless. And the way the, the approach to gender issues has evolved, uh, it started with women saying, hey, we've got problems. And what the most healthy thing to have happened would have been for women to say, yeah, okay, we've got problems, um, but you know, we got some advantages too. And you know what? Those men over there, they got problems and they've got some advantages too. And we want some of their advantages. Why don't we go see if we can do a deal with them? Mm. A negotiation. Hey, um, if you guys won't fight us for becoming bricklayers, we'll make sure that even if you and I get divorced, you'll still see your kids just like I do. Yeah. I think a lot of men would have said, really? But I think uh, the, the, the problem with that was that, um, if I'm thinking this correctly, is that even when some women, let's say some women saw it the way you just described it, the we can't deny the fact that the problem that came with that, that there, there were still some men that was not willing to give that a try. Mm -hmm. And that's why it took a long time for women to even get to where they are today. Because even if they said, okay, you know what? We know you guys have a problem. We know, but we're just saying, for example, we have to have a say in our government. Like we can't even vote. You no, know, I'm, I'm taking this back. Or we can't even do this. Or we can't do that. So uh, I understand what you're saying, but the reality is, the negotiation process that you're presenting sounds good, but even if that was the case, I don't think men were even willing to let that go easily. And that's why it took a while for them to get to where they are now. Am I well, wrong for feeling that way? Because that's just how I look at it. I wouldn't say you're wrong. I, I, I'd say you're looking at half of the picture. Right, okay. Because, because in this negotiation that needs to happen, there are still today many, 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 many women who are not willing to say, oh yeah, you're as much of a parent as I am. That's true. That's true. That's completely true. That's true. And uh, I, I know we kind of running out of time here, but we have one more question from Amber and I think I have an addition, a follow up after that, but I will go. Um, then after that, we're going to let you tell us a little more things that you would like to promote on this platform before we go. So, but Amber, go ahead. Um, you have a question. Yes, Jack. So given that this podcast is originally about dating and relationships in 2021, how do you view relationships in today's society and would, and how would your mission affect it? Well, you know, one, one thing that, so I don't really talk a lot about dating, okay. um, but you know, I do, I do talk about what do men need to be happier mm -hmm. and healthier 
and, and have better relationships. And, um, you know, one thing I say is, um, you know, instead of men worrying about whether they should open the door for the woman, this, you know, this is not a, this is just a sort of an example, but it's a classic example. Men worry about, oh my God, should I open the door for her? If they're out on a date, should I open the door for her? Because some women like it when you open the door for them. Mm-hmm. Some women take offense. Yeah, true. So, so, men, so men have to worry about that. And what I say is, it, it's a sort of an example. Look, instead of worrying about whether she wants the door open for her, you first have a right to decide whether you want a woman who wants you to open the door for her or whether you want a woman who will be offended if you open the door for her. Mm. You, okay. We as men need to decide what we want too, because if we're only concerned with what the woman wants, we are motivated to sort of fake that or manufacture it out of thin air somehow. And it's not really there for us. So eventually we run out of juice and we start to resent it. Mm. And, and then it's and that's, not good and that's when our true nature true comes nature out. Comes. Yes, <laughs> exactly. that makes sense. Exactly, exactly. So men, we, re- we really need to sort of decide what do we want? And guess what? Women want men. They know what they want. Who know what they, what they want. want. Oh, I like that. <laughs> Come on, Jack. <laughs> I like that. I like that. Before we go, Jack, this has been an interesting conversation. Thank you again for joining us. Um, before we go, what would be uh, like a summary of uh, summary message, you know, for this particular episode to men and women? Um, I guess, you know, well, what comes to mind is a, is a quote from Gloria Steinem. Do you know that name? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. So Gloria Steinem on a couple of occasions has said, um, I, think, I think she last said it in 1995. She, she wrote it in Ms. Magazine and she, and she gave it in an interview earlier, much earlier than that, to a woman who went on to create a website called feminist.com. Gloria Steinem said to this woman who was interviewing her, over the past 25 years, We've done a good job of convincing the world that women can do what men can do. She also said, she she then said, our mission for the next 25 years is to convince the world and ourselves, she said, ourselves being women, to convince the world and ourselves that men can do what women can do and then she added, and so far, I don't think we believe it ourselves. Interesting. Mm. Interesting. Wow. Well, before we go, Amber, you have any other question? Oh, that was deep. I, love it. <laughs> I know. Um, Jack, yeah, I have to agree with Amber. Like a lot of stuff you said today is deep, at mm-hmm. least for me. Um, I would love to have you back on the show. And because I would love I, to come back. Because I can... I think this conversation has opened my mind to um, so many other questions and not just questions that I'm curious about, but questions that I feel like it will further the interest of creating that awareness um, of, you know, between this counter feminism versus anti-feminism because um, people tend to not understand the differences 
And because there's not a particular distinction between them, in our minds, we often find ourselves on the wrong side of the conversation. So um, I would definitely love to have you back. Um, it's been great having you. Thank you so much. I hope you enjoy the rest of your day. But before we Thank go, you is there anything you want to tell people what, you know, how to reach you or is there something you want to let people know? Well, I want to thank you and I want to thank Amber. So the people I work with uh, would be mad at me if I didn't. Uh, they wouldn't <laughs> be mad at me. They would, they would be disappointed. They would think I was stupid and blew an opportunity. Uh, I am launching two podcasts myself. Oh wow! Nice. Awesome! Congratulations! Congrats! Thank you. They're 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 um, they're going to alternate weekly. One of them is called Goodwill Toward Men, okay. and on that podcast, I will be interviewing women who feel goodwill toward men. So can mm-hmm. Amber can, can Amber be on there? Yes. <laughs> well, yeah, I, so far, I, it sounds like Amber's got some goodwill toward men. Really yes, funny. I do. I do. I love it. <laughs> I, I can then, bet you money she will be good on that show. Yes. <laughs> All right. Great. And then this, the, the alternating show is called Men Are Talking, in which men get together and talk about, you know, what do we want? Mm. How do we get this negotiation going? Where, you know, we talk to women about, come on, come on, we, can you share with us too? <laughs> um, so uh, goodwill toward men and men are talking. Uh and uh, I imagine we'll be up and running, you know, middle, end of June, maybe middle of July. Awesome. 2021. I look forward to um, hearing that podcast. And uh, I, I know you, you're going to sell out all the deep stuff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, thank you so much again for joining us. And for our listeners, you can always reach on the Find Truth podcast at gmail.com. And on social media, the handle is on Deaf Truth, which is U-N-D-E-F-T-R-U-T-H. Uh, Thank you guys for listening. I hope you have a wonderful day.